hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. Recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and Abe is unfortunately not here. He is busy working. He has lots of stuff to do. He's very important and he will be back soon enough. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, we like to have these sorts of bonus episodes and it is December, end of the year, plenty of movies coming out, which means we have lots of stuff we want to try to cover before uh, we start moving into 2022. And this week, for this bonus episode, we're talking Nightmare Alley, the new Guillermo del Toro film starring Bradley Cooper and a bunch of people. And joining me to discuss Nightmare Alley, we have, from the Brandon Peters Show and Why So Blue, Mr. He Was Born For This. It's Brandon Peters. Be honest with the people, Abe's a carnophobe. <laughs> also joining us, from Forbes, don't call him a geek, he's been eating chicken heads for years, it's Scott Mendelson. But I cook them first. <laughs> Thank you, air fryer. <laughs> well done. How are you guys doing this evening? Jay. Great. I'm doing well. Good. Glad to have you guys both here. Excited to talk about this movie with you. And um, that's really all we're going to do, pretty much. But first, some show notes. First up, iTunes reviews ratings. Good to get those. Helps out the show. Helps pop, you, pop us up in the old iTunes charts. Log into iTunes. Search for our show at Now There and Abe. Give us a star rating. Give us a review. That'd be awesome. Great way to ring in the new year, actually. Give us some new reviews. And that's pretty much it. I mean, there's the, we have the Top Ten show. That's coming eventually. But we got, you know, plenty of fun bonuses still on the way. I mean, there's plenty of movies that come out. Licorice Pizza's out. We want to talk about that. Um, yeah, plenty happening. So, yeah, let's uh, let's show notes. So let's move on. Let's get to some quick trailer talk here, because there is a trailer I want to get into. Uh, this is for The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is a new Nicolas Cage film. And when I say new Nicolas Cage film, it's a film that's going to, like, hit a lot of theaters at one time, if I'm not mistaken, for a change, which yeah. hasn't happened in quite some time. And it's uh, it stars Nick Cage... As Nick Cage, who, who is, I'm going to read what the premise is. Nicolas Cage begrudgingly accepts a million-dollar offer to attend the birthday of a billionaire superfan played by Pedro Pascal. When things take a wild turn, Nick is forced to become a version of some of his most iconic and beloved characters in order to extricate his wife and daughter from the fan who is a notorious drug lord. Um... I, I, I've heard about this film for a while now as far as Nick Cage is going to be in some crazy movie where he plays Nick Cage characters. Already, I feel like the internet lit up with excitement for something like this. But the, the fact that it's like this, like a like a movie that's coming to theaters, like, I don't know why I didn't expect that, but like, this is, I, I don't know what to think now. And there, there's this trailer that looks a little broad, uh, but also looks like it could be a lot of fun. But I'm curious what you guys think. Scott, where, where are your thoughts on, on this this upcoming film? Well, and you know, we can talk about this off the podcast if you want, but there are bits and pieces of the plot that, for whatever reason, were not in the trailer. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more complicated than what the story is. I don't need to know good. more, but yeah, okay, good yeah, to, so good to know that there's more. That. Yeah, <laughs> then I will say nothing. Uh, I again, I think the biggest thing about this is that it's the first wide release multiplex mixed cage movie in a starring role since Left Behind in 2014. <clears throat> Or if you don't want to count that, because that one's, you know, left behind, you know, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance in tw early 2012. You know, he's, he's been cranking out the VOD action fantasy pictures, some of them better than others, but none of them phoning them in for about a decade. Remember when 2012 came along and you're like, guys, this is going to be the year. Avengers, Dark Knight Rises, Amazing Spider-Man, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. You just got fired up because of all, all four of those movies, right? 
Oh, maybe two of those. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's, 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 he hasn't made a, you know, I, I, unfortunately I don't have it in front of me. He hasn't made a movie like this, you know, the mainstream halfway decent budgeted starring vehicle that isn't a Ghost Rider sequel since, I don't know, knowing 2009. That can't be the last one. It, it very well might be. <laughs> Hold on. I, you chit-chat. I'm going to look it up. Hold on. Brandon, what do you think of this trailer? Well, I mean, it delivers, but I, and I want to see it, but it could be a movie that is, you know, gangbusters for trailer, but then just kind of, hmm, through the through the thing so i haven't looked too much into this movie i do love nicholas cage i'm glad he's here to play ball in this because i feel like him getting something like this may have weirded him out but or he might not have understood it but he seems to be pretty game for this um and interesting that this is getting such a wide release as well because i mean it's not like it's a it has a huge cast i mean it's got a lot of people in it but not you know, marquee, and uh, it's not made by anybody who's got like some yeah. like, big name director or coming from a writer. So, um, yeah, but I mean, Nick Cage has been, I mean, Pig was great. Uh, Mandy, Color Out of Space. Mandy, like, he's yeah, been, he's, he's been delivering some. He's been he delivering makes a quote unquote real movie every so often just to remind us that he, he still can. Pig's like yeah. a legit, like, could yeah. be a best actor nomination yeah. at this point, yeah. which I would certainly welcome. He's excellent uh, in that movie. Yeah, I mean he. I mean he knows every party place. He knows every film he's in. He doesn't. Ma- he's not a guy who mails it in. He loves to make movies. Um, he's not Bruce Willis. No, he's not Bruce Willis. <laughs> um, I, I hate that he's become like a kind of joke when he's such a good performer. But yeah, I mean, look, let's be. I I do not disagree with you whatsoever. But let's be real. Not all of the movies are good. I mean, no, no, absolutely not. But he is—he knows that. He knows where he's at in those. He knows sure. when it's camp time. He knows when it's, uh, you know, act like he could make the movie better because he's—he's he's like, okay, they got me here to do this or this script. Okay, this is how this one is, and they, and he's got a huge range of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And to where a pig comes, and you're like, oh yeah, that's that guy. Like, and we had what Joe before that. Um, Mandy is, you know, where he just harnesses some of those extreme strengths to that but here um he's able to like play himself well from what i can see in the trailer which is he's not caricaturing himself he's playing the you know playing the role good so scott to go back to your thing i know you have the answer and i because i have it too and it's very fun to see what the answer is to what is last big because there's multiple ones in one year well if we're not counting animation (laughs) yeah yeah, not um, kind of so the Croods. Not Spider-Man and Spider-Verse, not the Croods, Croods 2. He had a run from a, uh, 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. where he had the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I love, but whatever, cost too much. Season of the Witch got delayed like a million times and came out in early 2011. Uh, and yeah. then you had Drive, Drive Angry, Angry in 2000, early 2011. Uh-huh. Trespass went mostly straight to video, although... I'm guessing, you know, it's Nick Oakman, Nicholas Cage, directed by Joel Schumacher. It was probably intended as a theatrical release at one point in time. Um, and then Ghost Rider in early 2012, and then he starts making, you know, releasing, frankly, films with decent production values, like Seeking Justice and Stolen. Frozen Ground. Um, the, gra- the Frozen Ground. 
Joe um, was a nice like that's a David yeah, Gordon Joe Green is, film, right? That's, it's a low budget, but it's a good you know, it's it's Joe had good but like it was like yeah. oh he's that got a, good, a yeah, that was potentially a yeah. yeah performance wise. I, I, yeah. I would argue he didn't really start you know doing the direct to video all the time stuff till after Left Behind, which was late two thousand fourteen. Um and that's when you start seeing stuff like, you know, Outcast with Aiden Christensen, Pay the Ghost, the Trust. And then he does a supporting role in Snowden in late 2016. And that was the first time he'd been in a major studio picture since Ghost Rider. This is so wild, just because it's like there's at least four movies every year. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, so, and it, it's, he's never stopped. Looking through this filmography, and yeah, it's, box, it's IMDb, so there might be some stuff missing. But he doesn't do as much straight-to-video schlock as you'd think. Or at least he mixes it up with other stuff more frequently than even I would have presumed. But to the the general average Joe, it looks yeah. like that. They don't and, see and we're like, you know, actually, pick his quality, dudes, or like, you know, Joe is quality, or there's that. You got to kind of remind him. And there's, there, you know, you're, there's your Willy's Wonderland in there, which I get what he's going for there, even if it yeah. doesn't fully uh, work. That, that but, feels like a challenge for him. It's like I'm going to play a yeah. little mute, mm-hmm. and see what that can do. For yeah, me. no, uh, I, I totally well, get one it. One of the first big thing pieces I ever wrote in early 2009 was about Nicolas Cage. Now the idea of that people, because people do watch next or, you know, national treasure two or whatever, ghost rider, but they don't see, you know, uh, uh, bad Lieutenant court of whatever, the hell, New Orleans. you know, films like that, that they think he's an idiot actor who doesn't make real movies anymore. And I think to a certain extent, that's still the case, just on a VOD curve. Mm-hmm. You know, when you don't see any of Robert Pattinson or Kirsten Stewart's non-Twilight movies, then, yeah, you probably think they just do Twilight movies. You know, they just do Twilight movies. We've not uh, done a ton of Nicolas Cage commentaries. Like, I think we've only done The Rock, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. <laughs> I think that's it. We need to. <laughs> There's plenty to choose from. We need, we need to pump him up more in our commentary, right? Yeah. When does um, that movie come out? Um, this movie, the February, the, February, well, yeah, it comes out in February. I think so. Well, I mean, oh. February, I mean, that's our, it's already our kiss me deadly month, Scott. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> regardless. That's timetable. Regardless. Oh. Uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Yes. It draws in February. I, I don't disagree with what you guys like. I, I don't know what to expect necessarily. The premise seems wacky. The cast is fun, but yeah. Where's this coming from? Not a, not a really known talent here, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe he maybe he and Cage really bonded over this idea and they got something special cooking up. We'll see what happens. But um, movie's coming soon enough. All right. Hopefully, but, it'll be as good as JCVD. That'd be great if it was as good as JCVD. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Nightmare Alley. What is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Are you a true medium? Yes, I am. Mr. Carla. Doctor, how about that? Please lie down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Nightmare Alley. After taking home the gold with The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro found himself with an opportunity to do what he wanted to some degree. Given the many projects he's discussed, despite the limits that come with ambitious ideas, he's opted for a new take on Nightmare Alley, a 1946 novel originally adapted as a film noir starring Tyrone Power. 
This new take functions as a neo-noir that's been expanded to incorporate more of the novel as well as del Toro's sensibilities based on what interests him. The story focuses on Stanton Carlyle, who, raised, who rises from Carney to a great showman, using a knack for deception as a means to support his mind-reading act. This leads him to a psychologist with her own interests for the great Stanton's abilities, resulting in a dive deeper into darkness, despite the higher classes he becomes associated with. Brandon, I'm curious your thoughts on Nightmare Alley. Really enjoy, you know, Guillermo del Toro is an easy sell on me, and I always love to see what he's doing, and I think he brings something to even, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know whether he's made a lesser picture in my eyes, um, but uh, he's he's got a care in areas that a lot of directors don't. Uh, seemingly the the world of the not normal, the odd. He gives them humanity, uh, gives uh, gives them well roundedness. Uh, this one had a and then had a really uh, fascinating kind of three act structure to it. Which yeah, it's a movie. It has a three act structure, but it had kind of three different separate scenarios that could have been movies themselves almost uh and i really liked how it played uh it's amazing to me that and i this is the first uh movie i saw following spider-man no way home and that's this giant marvel movie or whatever but the and shot 235 all this stuff this is 185 yet the scale and feeling of this felt much bigger visually than anything in spider-man which is goes to show um good directors, good DPs, all that stuff. But yeah, I really like the massive feeling to it. Uh, a lot of the, um, just the camera work was top notch for me. Uh, there's a sort of ring sensibility, uh, full circle-ness to this movie that was, uh, you can kind of see it coming, but it's in a way that you appreciate once it's hitting those beats a lot of the time. But, uh, everybody in here is fantastic. Uh, feeling era appropriate. Um, I did. I did. I thought Bradley Cooper was quite good. I continue to love the work of Rooney Mara, even though she's very underappreciated kind of performance. What she's giving, uh, given here, Kate Blanchett's amazing. Just everybody here is just really buying into the material. Fantastic, and it's almost every member of the cast is so good. You you're begging for more of of them because there's not enough screen time for all of them. Um, but they're all so darn good in everything. And this is just a nice modern noir film uh, to have that really knows the noir sensibilities. It knows kind of a, like a nice little horror uh, grotesque aspect to it. And just there's a there's a kind of a, a, a version or a, a idea of this movie I'd like to see done in like modern times with uh, psychic mediums that are attracted to police crime scenes that I think would be a fascinating movie that I was in my mind while watching this whole thing uh, set in a pastime. But uh, yeah, top notch, uh, a, a favorite of mine for the year. I, I haven't put together my list of films yet, but I know this will make the original list at in, in a space, but yeah. All right. Scott. Good how, job, Guillermo. <laughs> Scott, how about you? what do you think of the film? I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Um, I mean, there's nothing modest about it in terms of its production values and its sense and its scale, but it's also refreshingly just a movie. You know, it's a good, solid, sturdy piece of Hollywood entertainment with a terrific cast, all of whom look terrific. 
Yeah, but there's, you know, in that sense, it's a very old school glamour piece, but it's, you know, it's a remake of a 1947 picture. And yes, you're right, Brandon. I mean, there is, I saw this, you know, back to back in two nights with West Side Story, another film that's only a period piece because it's a remake of a film that was made and took place during a given period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, West Side Story takes place in 1957 because that's when the show first came out. And without getting into that larger discourse, yeah, I do think there's, there's, you know, is could there be a modern version of this film that was also present tense? And whatever, the movie's the movie. I also think Del Toro wanted the old school, you know, film noir, post-World War II glamour. Yeah. And the, the, that that genre. We can talk um, more about that in our Kiss Me Dead commentary. Wasn't a complaint, that wasn't a complaint. <laughs> no, no, it, it was wasn't. Just I wasn't calling you out. I, head. Was a, I just wanted to make yeah, it clear. I agree with you, and here's why. Okay. okay. No, I was agreeing with you for the record. All right. Um, no, I only talk about you behind your back, never on the show. Okay. Uh, the things he says. <laughs> those those wonderful subtweets. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, but no, it's it's it has a very quicksand in plain sight suspense where you see mm. the protagonist, you know, like you're already successful enough or you've already accomplished A, B, and C. Get out now. But you know, there's no movie if he does. Um. Kate Blanchett is wonderful here. It's a very, I don't want to say, very theatrical performance. A classic femme fatale. And you're right, Rooney Mara is somewhat saddled with the virgin and the virgin or dynamic, but she is excellent because she is an act, a good actress. So there's there's value to her being by default one of the more moral people who ends up with a lot with a bunch of uh, immoral folks. Um, again, so relative. You see Carol, you know what happens. Exactly, so, okay. exactly. Uh, you know, it's relative immora- immorality, <laughs> relative morality in an immoral situation. Uh, Tony Collette is terrific, underused. And yeah, to a certain extent, once the film jumps time, you lose a lot of the all star ensemble, ensemble, which is ironic because that's what the film is to a certain extent marketed on. It's, Look at all these big stars in this film. Most of them are not in the second hour of the film. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's Domo del Toro, you know, say, I just won an Oscar and my movie made money, which doesn't always happen. So I'm going to go play. And that's what he's doing. And I think in a world where, where Disney was more interested in Fox as a place for big, big scale, big movies for adults, which is what was my hope in 2017 when they first started sniffing around to buy Fox. And to be fair, back then, more people were going to those kind of movies. So as usual, I blame the audience. Uh, I think in that alternate timeline, then films like Nightmare Alley would be why Disney wanted Fox in the first place and what they would use them for to quarter the market on that specific, you know, big budget, theatrical, adult skewing movie movie. That might not be a blockbuster, but some people would show up. And it would look really good as a streaming option in a a year and a half. To be fair, I mean, yes, more and more movies are going to streaming, but this movie did come out. Like, it did did make Nightmare Alley. I mean, is there there something to say that Searchlight's not going to keep seeing, you know, auteurs making these movies and released by the studio? I mean, getting released in theater by the studio. I mean, well, again, I'm saying this movie may be bombing, but it did come out to 2,000 screens to begin with. (laughs) Well, I just mean in, in general in an ideal scenario where people still showed up 
it would be in Disney's interest to make more of these kind of films. Yes, and besides I mean, just the periodic Oscar, you know, Oscar sure. run. Yeah, and the evidence is there to be like, do we need to keep putting these in theaters? Like, why do yeah. we? Like, but I mean, I'm still. Again, I blame I'm trying to be as optimistic as I can because I'm like, I mean, the movie's here. I mean, it, 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 yeah. did, ha- it did not no, happen. You're right. <laughs> um. And regardless of the whole, you know, contractual obligations, blah, 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 you're right. It, 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 if you wanted to and pandemic notwithstanding, you were able to see this in a theater near you. Uh, and I'd like to think that along with no West Side Story, a hundred million dollar movie that was released in yeah. theaters. I mean, they, yeah, they made it. <laughs> yeah. And I'd like to think that Disney's not going to mess too much with, with Searchlight because they win Oscars. And again, that's something else. Prime that, you know, reason, another prime reason they bought yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, I, that's, this is studio politics. This isn't related to the movie. So I will cede the table to you. Sure. I like this movie quite a bit. Um, I maybe am not as high on it as some are, as Brandon, you might be. Um, but I, I mean, Scott, you put it very well. Like, if I'm not associating this with a rating or anything like that, just saying it's a, it's just, it works as just a movie that's Guillermo del Toro getting to play, giving the, cachet that he's allowed himself to have because while he certainly maybe has the means to do whatever he may want to he's certainly working on a level that's in his tier where he can get away with what he wants to and by that i mean instead of making a mainstream four quadrant blockbuster that has a lot of limits he can make a lesser expensive film that has all the people he wants and can be r-rated in two and a half hours and whatever i like that he's able to do that and I've seen this kind of thing before, as far as you mentioning somebody that wins an Oscar and then does, you know, gets to play. That's Peter Jackson's King Kong, which I absolutely adore. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, and I'm a huge Del Toro fan. I, I was ready and pumped to see this movie. I do think it's good. I do think there's a lot of great things in it. You've already mentioned many of them. The technical, the technical aspects are spectacular, as you'd expect. And I move you by Del Toro, a man known for his production design and attention to detail. I... I am a huge fan of the 47 film. I am a huge fan of Tyrone Power's performance in that film. And whether or not that's informing how I feel about this movie, it's hard to not, you know, incorporate those thoughts to some degree, even if I'm not trying to consciously do it. I do think it is a long movie, longer than it needs to be. And I do think Cooper, while very good, I do think there's... I've been trying to, like, pinpoint what this is as far as what's holding me back from embracing this more because why would I not love a new Guillermo del Toro movie that's doing all the things that this is doing? And there's... It's between, I think, a middle act that kind of sags because as much as he wants to expand upon this or whatnot, I just think think there's as much dramatic urgency that's needed to make it this length. I also just don't think Cooper necessarily hits all of the beats that he needs to to, like, really bring home who this character ultimately is. I think he's great in, I think there's a lot of great things he does. There's a lot of great segments in here, but if I was trying to like find something that's holding me back, it's, I think it's that sense of performance because I think the people be around him are all, if not better, at least there, there's something there that seems to click for me where, and I like Cooper. I don't know. I, what part of the, what part of the film is it where it starts not working for you or it's not about not working. It's just more of he's like kind of three different people it, as it, we go. I know. And I think that, I think it's, it's the middle set. It's the middle section where there's not, there's not really much momentum. It's just more of establishing. This is the great, this is the great Stanton, right? This is the, like, what, what do we need to get to get to this third part that has like Richard Jenkins character more involved? Like, and it's just establishing this act that he's doing and how he's positioned himself in his life at this point. I don't want to say repetitive, but it just feels like the momentum's not quite there to like push me as to what his 
what his goal may be. So it feels like, I mean, I guess it is kind of, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> running in, maybe not running in circles, but like something just, he's kind of circling the, you know, he's, cir- he's circling a bit as far as like, who, who is he now? Is he, he's, he's meeting Kate Blanchett's character. He's, what's his goal going to be? Like, I don't, I, I, I've had trouble trying to figure this out, honestly, Brandon. Like I, oh, I, 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 I mean, are we at spoiler territory? Like we can, we can dig into it more. Yeah, sure. Okay, because I, kind of, I kind of have an answer for what if you're trying to figure sure. out what his goal was, but well, no, yeah, I mean, I know like his overall goal. I mean, as far as just me, me trying to embrace what this movie's offering more, there's just something that's not quite clicking for me, and maybe it's just because I can't separate that other film, which I think, I mean, it's an hour shorter. I mean, it's just like, cause I can't separate that from this version and like trying to make it work in my mind, why this needs to be this, this much longer, what have you. And it's not like I don't relish the chance to be in a del Toro world, but I, I don't know. It just, it, and this, I mean, I don't even want to focus on the negative because there is a lot of great here. Kate Blanchett is very good in this movie. Like she's easily the highlight as far as characters go. It's a very rich character. It's femme fatale. Like it has all of those things working for it. I think David Strathairn in the limited time he has is really good in his role. He's always really welcome in the film, but I think he's pretty terrific here. And Richard Jenkins, honestly, I think is, he, Oh yeah. Like I like seeing this stable of del Toro players along with the newbies that have come along. And honestly, making a movie about a carnival, it's weird that Doug Jones isn't in this movie. Like <laughs> that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of all the people he didn't have in his carnival movie, something you think he would have done by now. Doug Jones wasn't available. <laughs> he couldn't play like some big guy. <laughs> but, um, um, but I mean, to wrap it, I mean, there's plenty of great here. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge noir guy. I, lo- I love this kind of this kind mm-hmm. of thing of, of taking characters to their like their most their, their darkest levels and playing with that and seeing how nihilistic it can be and like what what you gain from that what the even when the plot beats are somewhat telegraphed just because you know the beats of this kind of story it's still fun to see this kind of world and what it does and this particular story is a pretty nasty story it's very seedy there's not there's no real heroes here there's just there's a there's one virtuous character played by Rooney Mara but like no one else is like good in this world (laughs) like it's maybe Willem maybe I guess the carnival people by default just because they're Uh, I mean not even Pearlman Perlman's not even letting he's against Rooney Mara making decisions for herself, living her own life. Like he's not, I mean, he's not in the end, not hard. He's not wrong. Not even, that, but like, like, in terms of what he like, had, in terms of letting her, you know, be a full fledged person. I mean, not the carnies are, no one's as bad as, as Cooper Damn. or whatever, but like they, they have their own little quirks to them. Um, but well, they're also societal yeah. underdogs, right? So they have a certain, you know, they're graded on a curve. Um, but it's as far as the second act, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I do think Del Toro relishes the chance to do individual scenes that relish the showmanship mm-hmm. of the plot that mm-hmm. don't necessarily move the plot along. I do enjoy some of those scenes, but yeah, in terms of momentum, I think it's it's kind of almost showing off. Um, I, I agree. I mean, because again, it's not—it's not a lack of desire to want to embrace this stuff. It's just, and or, nor do I feel like I need to have only plots and not just good character stuff or just scenes because for weird for the sake of being weird. It's just you know, at the end of the day, you you like it or you don't to some degree, and that's I I don't again. It's not a matter of dislike. It's just more like, yeah, okay, like <laughs> I appreciate what this is more than I like seeing it. I, I, I well, don't. and I, I did watch the original after I saw this, and yeah, I, I do certainly admire how efficient it was. 
while also being a little depressed at how once upon a time a movie this nuanced and complex and character driven was just a movie as opposed to this big blustery Oscar contender. Um, I, mean, I feel like that's subconsciously part of it too for me where it's yeah. like, this does, this doesn't feel like a movie that's, that needs to come out in December. I'm not, now that's a, that's not a fair thing to necessarily hold the movie. Like that's studio business, but there is this kind of part of me that's thinking, this just feels like Del Toro wanted to make a movie and you know, like have a good yeah. time. It doesn't feel like he's yep. like, I need to make this so it comes out in December so I can finally win the Oscar and like give a speech about carnival folk or whatever the fuck. It just feels like it might No, be... that's 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 the studio being like we have the the follow up to his best picture winner. Exactly. So it's got to be a best picture nominee. Yeah, like or we need to get it off the shelf before COVID goes away and we're expecting to actually put effort into these films. And it's another way to sell it, honestly, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like it's one thing to sell a movie that has these stars and it's another reason to be like here here's the movie that people are going to be buzzing about because of all the awards that it's nominated for like i yeah mm-hmm. I, there's i get that side of it and again i'm not trying to hold it against the movie but it does feel like it the baggage it has with it is the idea that it's automatically an oscar contender which just feels like a movie which is yeah. fine there's other del toro movies i like more there's ones i like less this one it it's not moving the you know it's not moving the bar for me as far as how much i love guillermo del toro like it's just like okay good he made a cool it's, movie like and i it is a constant struggle every Oscar season for films that are designated as these huge Oscar contenders separating. Okay. I don't think this is remotely Oscar worthy Belfast. The tender bar. Like, the movie. Yeah. The tender bar <laughs> Belfast power of the dog, but okay. But they're still, yeah. And again, this is me. This is not you, you know, still good movie. And I you know, mean, it's, it's, it's like so like I, do, I do sympathize. I do feel that struggle too. Yeah. And I think I was able to turn that off a little bit more here because I had just seen West Side Story, which was very obviously their big Oscar contender. So I guess I could sort of look at this one as, oh, they have that other movie that's coming out in December. Yeah, it's a big genre thing, right? Where it's yeah. like something you'd assume that would be made for that kind of right. thing. Right. Yes. Let me say some of these, like, awards contenders, but, like, they immediately is like, well, the best picture and everything else. Some of them could be, like, Belfast could be up, like, cinematography. That was that's one of its strengths. It doesn't not, I wouldn't say it's best picture stuff material either, but they seem to like throw these at, like it's gotta be the whole gamut or nothing else. Like it was well, like, you know, being in the Ricardo's, I find an interesting for example. All your consideration. I like Sorkin's stuff. And obviously if you don't, then you're probably going to hate being in the Ricardo's, but I do think there's a huge difference between this film deserves to have a crap ton of Oscar nominations, you know, versus did I enjoy watching this picture? Yeah. Fair. This is a different conversation, but I mean, something yeah. like Belfast, yeah. yes, the cinematography is a stronger aspect of it, but it feels like it would be tailor-made for this season. Like, that's, which, yeah. which is kind right. of, which is part of my issue with yeah. it. Like, yeah. it, like, I get that it's a personal thing for him, but it does feel like a movie that would only come out because of the Oscar season. Yeah. But, I, I mean, that's, that. that's, that's a different movie. That's neither here nor there, and you don't have to agree with me, I'm not asking you to. Uh, this movie... <laughs> um, what else? What else is going on here? What else can we talk about? We talk about. So I, I, had, a, I had a thought. Um, yeah. I wasn't too sure. Of, do you think Strathern, his mm-hmm. magician character, because Bradley Cooper seems doomed to follow the footsteps of him as we see th- going through there? Do you think he was? Um, and maybe if I missed it, if it was there already, but here I am asking. Do you think he was like a, a geek before, and he's a cleaned up one, a, no, a sort think... of cleaned up one? 
And Cooper's destined to be that drunk old magician there? Well, because I think Stratharon is more... I think he's a man that his his bar was never too high, and so he's all he's arrived okay. at the place that he felt was that was where he's always going to be. Where Cooper's problem okay. is that he has to his aspect has his aspirations are too high. He has too much ambition, but mm. he's also an asshole, so like it's it's going to get the better of him for the worse. Whereas Terran, he was comfortable. Like the only reason yeah. he's gone is because Cooper poisons him. <laughs> I mean, like he, yeah. he he had his wife, he had his gig. He's an alcoholic, and that's pretty, mm. that's that's most likely stunted him. But I, but I don't think he's been I, – I don't think he's necessarily a has-been. I just don't think he ever put the effort into going any higher than the position okay. that he's really at. That's, yeah. a, that's so how I, I took it. Cause I, yeah, yeah I, you know, I mean, he, a classic didn't-know-when-to-quit kind of character. Like he, like he, saw... he advises him himself. It's like, don't do the whatever story, right? The, the one mm-hmm. where you, like, stick with the guy. You, you know, go, go, cut it off, be done, get out of there. Like Yeah, because I, I saw, like, a semblance of, like, through his women – uh, when he became, and then Blanchett was looking like she was filling in that uh, Tony Collette type role in his life in a different way of mentalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, oh, he's now he's meeting his Tony Collette type, but that turned on a dime there. Um, but so I was like, I was wondering then. I was like, well, if he becoming like, did uh, I don't know? Maybe his fate was just more severe uh, for what he did than. Strathern. I think it's speaking um, to the classes yes. too, right? Like you yeah. have you have the carnival class, which is, I mean, the film itself, the look of it is warmer in those scenes, right? Yeah. Despite the fact that these are lower yeah. class people, you have a family unit essentially, and they're operating in an area that is shot to be like more welcoming, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, as as much as you want to point to maybe certain things, like Xena basically like seducing Stan to some degree. Mm-hmm. I mean it's still a more inviting area where you get to the higher classes with quote unquote better people. It's cold, right? It's, it's, I mean, right. even Jenkins in particular, his place is set in snow. Like it's Snowy, <laughs> yeah. like, in, and the, and the, in Blanchett's character is, and, you know, from the outset, you know, she's duplicitous, which is annoying right. because you're like, Stan, get it with, get together. <laughs> like what's going on here? But, gotcha. um, well, Scott, let me let me ask you something because Brandon, you described the film as having like these three distinct acts. What you meant you mentioned you agree with me to some degree as far as the middle act goes. What, what was your preferred segment of this movie? Honestly, I like the middle act best. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't disagree with you in terms of the jogging in place mentality. I just like the individual scenes. I like the first big, you know, the big showy glitzy psychic show and how Blanchette tries her best to sabotage that. I like their conversations in her office. Um, I like the machinations of that plot as it goes forward. I think the rest of the movie is good too, but I, I think for me, I was most engaged by that section before, you know, understandably everybody goes to their grim fate. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the scene with Jenkins and the, the lie detector. Uh, yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. And and I Jenkins he comes in and just takes it by storm. He's great uh, here, and you know him and Blanchett really make that second act quite strong for I mean for me. Um, I do wish that there was a little more because we jumped two years right into it. But I was I was kind of when I was watching it hoping to see more of him. Uh, working his way doing it in the circus a little bit and seeing how he would behave there but he jumped straight out of town from that uh after that police incident at the at the um 
carnival stuff. But when, I was, um, when Jim Beaver shows up as the sheriff, I'm like, okay, so this is just Del Toro. Just, he's bringing all his fan, all his favorite guys <laughs> yeah. in here. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are a lot of individual scenes that I relished to the point where I think, while you could argue that the overall movie is, I don't want to say slight, but as you said, Aaron, it's, it's, you know, it's a studio programmer. It's a movie. It's, 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 but I think there are very, I, I relished a number of the individual moments that I liked quite a bit. Even if the movie itself is basically what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. There's a fantastic one. Another reason I like the second act a lot too, like Scott um, is there's a fantastic moment where uh, Rooney Mara is leaving him and she makes a mention of, you know, kind of her artistically being tapped out, but like, you know, I, and she's not mad at him, but she's like, I've given you, I give you all the love I can, but you know, that's enough for me, but it's not enough for you. And I hope you find whatever it is that's enough. And that is a humongous, uh, deep statement of like, art artists people in relationships that you know people in the entertainment world or in an artistic field or people married to their job can have because of dedication to something uh like high dedication to something outside of a relationship that you know was one of my favorite lines from the whole thing was that during that moment yeah I would argue to a certain extent that's what Tick Tick Boom was about. The idea that artists don't think that they are more important than the people around them, but that the work is more important than the people around them. Yeah. I've watched this movie twice so far, and maybe, maybe it's just one that's going to grow on me over time because I don't dislike it. And, like, I you like it. have to. And I, 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 yeah, I know. And I like, <laughs> yeah. I like thinking about it. So it's just like, <laughs> it's just it's just weird that it hasn't struck me in a certain way where I just, I just. I don't know what I, I wanted I think, from it to make it better for me, but it's just... I don't think it's some sort of, like, would we have Del Toro a lot of the times going out with something in this vein. He's got something maybe a little bit more abstract or weird angle to put on it, and he does. it's not really here. Um, it's a straightforward yeah. noir picture, you know, like, stuff like that, and there's no strong, no, like, strong statement or personal stamp uh, on that statement. Um, that's there with your shape of waters, devil of backbones, uh, pan labyrinths, things were, um, things we're used to seeing, uh, with him like that. Um, I hate to put it in a vein, like they're two completely like Pacific Rim, which is a, you know, yeah, um, a mega budget fun, blockbuster thing. Yeah. Him having fun playing in a sandbox, doing his own version of that, or like, I got to make one of these rather than like, I have something I need to say through one of these. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of more where this one lies. But it's fan. Yeah, I think it's excellent. Um, him doing it, either way. Any other thoughts on Nightmare Alley? I'm trying to think of anything else to say about that. Like, did you? Okay, here's one. Did you guys like the, like the the ending where the film leaves you? Because I do Very think much. it is a. It has oh a... yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh. You know, you know it's coming. Uh, but it it plays out very well. Um, because I I somewhere at some point when he uh. When he took the first drink, I kind of had an idea of where it, something was going to come back around to there mm-hmm. um, at Blanchett's. So I was like, uh-oh, this is going to – but there's also the moment – it also clicks the moment earlier where he's friendly to the geek in the, the cage as if he's staring into a mirror almost the way – or he's – there's something personal about the scene where he shares the cigarette that night at the cage with the geek um, when he lives at the circus that – 
I felt there was like a reflective quality to it. And that clicked when I saw the, you know, him take that first drink. They, cause he, they make a statement that he does not drink throughout this. And I'm like, it all go, you, you hear the, the Defoe speech in your head playing throughout from that moment on about, about that. So, and Kate Blanchett kind of pulls that trick on him as well. Um, I think Cooper puts a lot of good physical work in this movie. I think there's a lot of, presence that he has that i do appreciate like the i mean the opening scene is him like putting a body into a hole and yeah then the rest of like the first 20 minutes he's silent like he says nothing and i mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of good work being done there i don't think he's bad when he's talking but i do think there's something about his presence that i think does work quite a bit and so like when he gets to the end maybe it just comes down to the fact that i just really like the original because i do think tyrone tyrone bauer does a really fantastic job with that performance and i do think there's something he's pulling out there that maybe it's either related to my association with Jeff Bradley Cooper, just on his other roles. And the fact that like, I'm less informed on Tyrone power as a person, or just, I just like that performance a lot, but I don't know. Like it, it, there's, I, I have plenty of good things to say about Cooper at the same time. There's just like, there's things I just can't get out of my mind about what I really like about that original movie. I would say with Bradley Cooper this holiday season, he's worked with Paul Thomas Anderson and Guillermo del Toro. So whatever movie he's directing next, I'm excited to see what he's picked up here. <laughs> It's a remake um, of Yentl. Oh, cool. <laughs> another another Streisand joint. He wants to watch. Yeah, Streisand. <laughs> How about the violence in this movie? This is an R-rated film. Oh, he hit. Well, he hits it when it counts, and he, yeah. it's it's the ouch shit. Um, it's the opposite of Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth, he gets you right in the beginning and never has to go that hard again. This one, he waits right to the end. Or yeah. You oh, forget oh. about what he can do, and it. Yeah. That's right. This is an R-rated movie. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, he he smashes. He, yeah, he does that. He it's loves, the same kill as Pan's Labyrinth, pretty yeah. much. He loves but, smashing. Yeah. He loves smashing things. He loves he loves seeing the body <laughs> getting really destroyed. <laughs> um, you know, the violence. Yeah, the violence. The effective shooting. You know, we see guns in all the movies, but they the the pals and the ricochets work really well here there's too. something he does like that i mean I, I don't know if that's just like an international director thing but there's something a way he like there's something about the texture of his movies uh that you know regardless of where they're set that just really like it springs to mind for me when it comes to him or his you know his cohorts when it comes to 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 Coron or Inaritu. like there's just something about the the way they feel and the way they shoot scenes like that that just seems it like its own thing compared to you know uh, regular Hollywood movies. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. It just like it always like there's. Some, I notice this a lot when I watch his other like uh, like Pan's Labyrinth, for example. Just the way like umbrellas open, it somehow sticks out to me as like it's the only way umbrellas could open in that movie is the way he opens them. Like I don't know. I think it might just. And again, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I mean, the, the extent that violence is both glamorized and neutered in American culture yeah. in a way that maybe it isn't everywhere else. Yeah, no, that's. I and I'm making it up as I go along, so that's no, but that's certainly. I think that's certainly a factor. It's just like the regard that you know people that are not from America have for how to portray certain yeah. things. I think that come for you know artists like this that are putting it in media. I think that does come through as far as the way they're visually displaying that. Well, to them, it, to them, it's violence. To us, it's action. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's fair. I mean, outside of his quote-unquote action movies when you look at his other right. movies that have gunplay or what have you in them they are 
you know, they're, they're Pan's Labyrinth, they're Devil's Backbone, mm-hmm. where they're things that people get hurt because of the actions that take place. They yeah. don't, they don't, they don't necessarily like, look cool. Like, like I say, the, the sound of the bullets from his, like when his guns go off in his movies, that sounds like it's gonna hurt when it if it makes contact with you, and like it's it's really weird. Like it's an odd thing to say, sound design wise, but um, there's just like a difference than something like we talked about Matrix Resurrections, just mm-hmm. you know. But there's a pow to that, yeah. All right. Well, Nightmare Alley is now in theaters uh, for the time being. When Rated should, R. When should people got go? A few days. When should people go and see this R-rated two and a half hour film, Scott? As soon as possible, because it won't be in theaters by next Friday, probably. No, it, it probably will. Yes, yeah, see it in theater if you can, because it's good, because you want to vote for your wallet with your wallet while you still can. Uh, but if you really want to see it in a theater, you better do it by the end of the year, because as soon as the new 2022 films start coming, this one's out of there. People will be racing to see the 355. Brandon, where do you where, where do people see this movie? Uh, yeah, like Scott said, hurry. Uh, it is a movie, you know, that plays well on the big screen. People like want to see stuff big screen. Like I don't. It hurts that there's these great films from good directors that look really great. They're made uh, to be seen as big as possible. People aren't. Um, my local, my closest AMC uh, went from it being a new movie to a one showing a day already, uh, and it's a uh, big uh, i think we got 20 screens of that one so like hurry <laughs> spider-man is eating up all the show times they keep adding more spider-man and uh throwing nightmare alley in the uh alley so yeah i despite my mild reservations i do think it's a well-made movie that deserves a big screen presentation so if you can't see it in the theater i would recommend doing so before yes you do not have the chance any longer and of course i look forward to like having this movie on 4k and having like disney another, plus and having another great yeah of course and having another great del toro track commentary track and all that like i look forward to seeing this in the future but for the time being yeah if you can see it go see it because uh, it's the kind of thing you want to have more of and you have to see them mm-hmm. to make that happen um, okay, well, we've done it, guys. We've talked about Nightmare Alley, and that's going to do it for this bonus episode about Now Theron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, Zeke.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also at Wise of Blue and LeadLeadEntertainment.com, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4, Brandon Peters. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Brandon4KUHD. Uh, my podcast is The Brandon Peters Show, which is uh, anywhere podcasts are found or on my YouTube channel, which currently, uh, check out my top 10 Blu-rays and top 10 4K Ultra HD titles for the year. That's up there. I'll probably be posting some more little videos in my time off. Um, check it out. And, uh, yeah, written stuff at YSOBlue.com. Brandon, give us a brief preview of your top 10. What's what's one of the 4Ks on the top 10 list? I forget. Uh, <laughs> he wrote it down so he wouldn't have to remember. Uh, I, I have a trio of Dario Argento movies lying somewhere in there that came out on 4K Ultra HD this year. Really good work from Arrow Video on all three of them. Very cool. Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you? Uh, Forbes.com. Please Google some variation of Scott Mendelson, Forbes, and the ticket booth. I can be found on Twitter at, at, Scott, at Scott Mendelson. And, uh, yeah. Great. You can find all the other yeah. You can find all the other episodes of this podcast at iTunes, Audible, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can email us at notpodcastgmail.com. All this stuff you, you can find our podcast at. Brandon Scott, thank you very much for joining me to discuss Nightmare Alley this evening. 
Thank you. You're very welcome. Glad to have done it, and that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, we'll probably have some form of Don't Look Up Licorice Pizza, Tragedy Macbeth, whatever's happening. There's a lot coming out, but that's going to do it for now. So until next time, so long and goodbye.